Welcome to The Catalyst, where we explore creative ideas to spark innovation in an unhealthy healthcare system. I'm your host, Dr. Lara Salyer, a physician and mom of three who is reimagining the way I practice medicine after suffering and overcoming burnout. Join me as I teach you how to optimize flow and catalyze your own revolution in healing. Tune in for candid conversations with leading experts in conventional and holistic healthcare who dare to believe a better future is possible for all of us. Life is made of teeny catalytic moments of immense impact. When strung together, the transformation is magical. Join us and let's color outside the lines. Welcome to this episode of the Catalyst Podcast. You are about to meet Dr. Rina Kotecha, and she is a medical doctor, organizational well-being consultant, TEDx international public speaker, formal international advisory board member for Headspace Health. She's also a professional stakeholder for mindfulness research at University of Cambridge. Dr. Rena studied medicine and undertook a research degree in neuroscience and mental health at the Imperial College London, and following this, spent the early part of her career serving in the National Health Service, UK, as a hospital doctor. Alongside this, she's trained in the therapeutic use of mindfulness meditation at the British Mindfulness Institute and is a certified teacher of Search Inside Yourself, a mindfulness-based emotional intelligence training program developed at the Search Inside Yourself Leadership Institute, USA. She currently serves as a professional stakeholder for mindfulness research being conducted at the University of Cambridge, UK. In 2021, Rena was sought out to be on the inaugural International Advisory Board of Headspace Incorporated, one of the world's largest meditation apps. Rena has a keen interest in workplace well-being and in 2016 designed and developed Mindful Medics, the Healthcare Starts with Self-Care program, which she delivers to clinical and non-clinical staff in healthcare settings across the globe. She also provides training within non-healthcare sectors, working at the intersection of individual and organizational thriving. Her offerings focus on evidence-based approaches that enhance staff health and well-being on a personal level, as well as productivity, performance, and engagement on a professional level. You're going to love this episode. I'm just saying. Dr. Rena and I met at the IPM Congress in London, and we are two sides of the same coin. She's on a mission to improve the tenacity, the mental health, the creativity and vitality of our healthcare professionals. She has personal stories of going through her own burnout journey, and she's come out the other side renewed, excited, enthusiastic, and continually moving the needle to improve our healthcare overall. Inside this episode, you can expect to learn about burnout, about resiliency, about happiness, about mindfulness, and all the things involved. What does this mean to you? How to help yourself and strategic ways that you can be inspired to turn over a new page, a new chapter, and learn how you can start coaching yourself. So get ready and get ready to catalyze with Dr. Reno. Oh my goodness, I almost forgot to hit record. We have Dr. Rena Kotecha today, and I couldn't be happier because let me let me take you back. We're gonna take our listeners back into June. Actually, end of June, July, I think I believe, IPM Congress in London. The dates escape me, but here we are. You're sitting next to me in this large auditorium. We're in the heart of London. 
all of these healthcare practitioners from across the globe, I believe 33 different countries. We have people converging here for three days of amazing learning and community, all pushing the boundaries of what we think healthcare is possible. And we're talking innovations like functional and integrative medicine and nutrition and mindfulness. And so you're sitting here and every speaker is just amazing. And it's like it's like a collection of TED Talks. You've got 20 minutes and then you see the next brilliant speaker. I had the honor of being on the stage, but really I was feeling like just that small fish, so excited to be in this big ocean. So here I am in the row with you. You're sitting next to me and the speaker leaves the stage and on walks Dr. Rena. And then there's a hush as we wait for her to speak. And there she is in her brilliance, like every speaker right in the center of the stage. And we're all still looking and it's still silent. And what happened in my body, I thought, oh no, her microphone isn't working. Oh no, she forgot what she was going to say. Oh no, her slides aren't working. My mind went into fix it mode and empathy for the speaker because I know what it feels like when you have AV difficulties and you're on the stage and you're the keynote. So this whole time in literally five milliseconds, I was creating a narrative for her like, oh no, she must be suffering. She must be so uncomfortable. How can we help? So then what do I do? I reflect and I look across the audience. I look at you because you're sitting with me in this thought experiment. And I look down the row and everyone else has that confused look. But then we all focus on her. And pretty soon it's silent, even more silent than it was before because everyone is focusing on her. And what I've learned is this was intentional. She then opens up her brilliant talk, sacrificing what seemed like 20 minutes, but probably was only like 30 seconds of silence, but it filled the space. It reset the tone. And as you know, in neuroscience, we talk about attuning and our brainwaves all attune in several ways, obviously mother, baby, obviously times when you're in flow and conversation. But the minute somebody says, I want to tell you a story, studies show that all the MRI, functional MRI brainwaves would be on the same page. And she did this so expertly. It was the perfect start to her talk on mindfulness. So without further ado, Dr. Rena, thank you for coming back into this world. Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me, Lara. It's, it's really a pleasure to, to be here and to experience your presence again. Well, thank you. And I want to hear from you. Let's start with that moment. I love that you did that. It was a great way to bring awareness, to bring everybody's attention back into the room. To me, it felt palpably, somatically, I guess, dense and potent. I felt like I could almost feel my mind go and back into the zone where it was scattered. And I felt like you achieved what you had set out to do. So walk me through that. Was that an impulsive decision or was that absolutely strategic? I would say it was a bit of both. Like um, it wasn't necessarily strategic in the sense that I had an outcome that I wanted to achieve. And this is what I was going to use to achieve it. Because as you know, as with human beings, you know, you can't necessarily control how people are going to feel or how you're going to make them feel. There are lots of variables in that. Having said that, um, it was intentional and intentional in the sense that when we are going day to day, you know, do, going about our business and that day we all happen to gather in this space in central London, which is noisy and busy and there's lots going on. Um, and, you know, for some, 
like yourself, you came from afar, so you would have had a whole pre-planning that happened in order to get to that point and lots of things to figure out. So for me, it was like, can we just use these 30 seconds as an opportunity to connect with each other and more so connect with ourselves? Um, and it's something that I just don't think we do enough on a regular basis, especially in um, a cerebral environment like you often get within uh, healthcare conferences, right? Where everyone wants to talk about the research and the latest stats and, you know, they want to showcase their case studies and their businesses and what they're doing. And of course, there is time and place for that. And it's important. That's how um, sort of progression happens in the field. But what I wanted to demonstrate and what I wanted to share is that there's also progression in terms of human connection that we need to enable. And how do we do that? You do that by um, allowing space for human connection, allowing space where that person within you can connect to the person within me. So it's interesting when you said um, that your focus was on me uh, for, for a few moments, but what I would offer as a reflection is, was it necessarily on me or was it on this, this uh, connection that we were experiencing in that moment, you know? And you can, you can create that even in a room of hundreds of people. And that's what I wanted to uh, get across is this is, for my talk at least, the starting point is that one-to-one -one connection, even though we're here uh, on a one-to-many basis, if that makes sense. So I would say not strategic per se, but intentional for sure. It was beautiful. It was really an eloquent and simple way to emphasize and underscore your mission, which is exactly that, that mindfulness. And it can sound like fluff, especially if we've been in the healthcare system, we've been in these mandatory like team meetings where we take a break and we ground ourselves, right? And it becomes this tongue in cheek. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Let's get on to the the you know cerebral like you said let's get on to the strategies it, there is that masculine energy that young you know where where we need that gentle balance of pause and presence and the weighty feeling that you expertly queued up in that whole room and i felt the energy shift i felt my energy shift and i can't i would argue anybody i bet when they were done with listening to your you know, talk that we all felt changed in a better way. And, and this is what healthcare needs. We need to be innovative and creative to understand that we are human right along with our patients and we need to cultivate the space. The, the beautiful thing you said just a moment ago was allowing that space to happen. We are so forward driven in healthcare. We have to have, uh, you know, treatment plans and solutions. And we give, I think the the stat is 18 seconds for our patient to talk. And then we interrupt because we are time restricted and time poor, but you're creating space and showing us that even 30 seconds of silence I would love to see the, the tape to see how long that silence was because it felt like an hour, but you showed that that is all perspective. Just having 30 seconds of silence can be medicinal 
So in your experience of neuroscience, you've created mindful medics. Before we get into that, I'd like to circle back to your journey and how you got where you are. You know, what was that catalyst moment that made you stop in your tracks and take that pause and go, wow, I need to do something different. Walk me through that. Mm. Wow. Well, it, it wasn't necessarily a moment per se. It was a series of moments where progressively over time, I was depleting. I was struggling. I was burning out. I was um, affected in terms of my mental health, affected negatively, struggling with anxiety and depression. And the worst thing was I didn't really know that this was happening. Now, there's an irony here, right? Like here I am as a doctor working on the front line, diagnosing people left, right, and center. Right. You were in the emergency room, right? Exactly. And, yeah. you know, immediately making very quick decisions to save people's lives. And yet I just ha didn't have the self-awareness um, to turn inwards and say, something's not right here and something needs to change. So, uh, yeah, so basically I'd been working in acute medicine for, uh, I would say at this point, two years. And prior to that, I had gone through my, what you might say in the States, the residency piece um, for a couple of years, working through various specialties. But at this point, sort of four and a half years after graduating, I've done the past two years in acute medicine. And I'll share with you um, a particular event that happened, but this was one of a series of events. Um, but this particular event was I'd just finished um, a night shift. I'd finished a set of night shifts and I had, um, you know, this particular shift, I'd seen, you know, uh, a lady who'd come in with a ruptured ectopic pregnancy. I had seen multiple myocardial infarctions, you know, heart attacks. I'd seen a patient with um, basically a construction worker who had uh, damaged uh, the muscles and the nerves in his hand. I had seen um, a poor child who fell out of bed in the middle of the night and needed some gluing and suturing, or gluing rather. And so there was a lot going on this particular shift. And I got to eight o'clock in the morning. I handed over my patients. And as I was off going to my car, I was like, I am so hungry and I've got nothing to eat in the fridge for breakfast, like nothing, right? Like I don't even think I have two pieces of bread. Um, so I decided that I was gonna stop over at the local supermarket, which was next door to the, the hospital before I get home. So here I am in the supermarket and actually going in, my, my aim was to buy some cereal. And so it was like, okay, in my head, you know, I had, I had sort of said, get in there, buy some cereal, pay for cereal, and get home, eat cereal, shower, go to bed, like that. <laughs> um, so I'm here in the cereal aisle, and having having just got undergone this night shift, right, which which was actually horrendous because we were short staffed as well. Um, so I'm here in the cereal aisle and I'm looking at like rows of cereal and I can't for the life of me figure out what what box of cereal to buy. So literally I will pick one up, I'll read it, look at the colors, look at the words, and then I'll walk literally five steps 
go back, put it back, pick another one, walk another five steps. And I was literally pacing up and down the cereal aisle until I stopped for a moment. And suddenly I was shaky. I was crying. I was feeling um, hot, lightheaded. And essentially I was having a panic attack in the cereal aisle. And for me, if you, I don't remember much, but if you ask me, what was I thinking in that moment? It certainly wasn't, how do I prioritize my well-being? It was, oh my God, what if, what if someone sees me like this? You right. know, I'm right next to the hospital where I work. Okay. So what if I get seen by like my colleagues or right. patients or my seniors? Like, what will they think of me? And why can't I just be normal? Why can't I get on with it like everyone else does? Because when I looked around in the workplace, even though we were understaffed and overstretched and under-resourced, when I looked around, everyone else looked like these beautiful swans gliding along the surface. And here I was frantically paddling and panting just to stay afloat. And that's part of the problem, which I'll come on to. But within uh, our healthcare systems, we don't talk enough about our challenges, our difficulties, our state of yes. uh, mental and emotional well-being, and our loneliness. Right, and that's because there's there's so much perfectionism, high competition, very driven people, which is great. But actually, can we stop to just take a moment to? say this is hard or I'm struggling and not feel judged for it. And so what happened was that particular day, <laughs> well, the irony was, and I'll just share it with, with you and the audience, because I remember this so distinctly, that day I left with some bread and some milk and no cereal. And I, I got home and I cried myself to sleep. And then basically I just went back into work as normal, my following shift, right? Because that's what you do. And so there really wasn't a sense for me, a sense of sort of self-awareness, time for self-reflection, self-compassion, like none of this existed. And of course, why would it? Because, you know, I had been trained for six years and then post-grad in anatomy and physiology and pharmacology and diagnostics and all the rest of it. But no one had ever stopped to say, do you know what? It might be important to look after yourself as a healthcare professional as you embark upon this journey. And that's where the sort of uh, message and my mantra really of healthcare starts with self-care comes from because, you know, at the moment, we live in a world, and actually more so post-COVID, uh, where healthcare professionals are burning out, they're depleting, they're leaving in, in droves, really. I mean, the latest stats, it depends what you read, but essentially, it's like the mental health uh, stats in the general population, usually about one in four, but in the healthcare population, it can be as much as three and five, you know, 60% compared to 25, 28% in the general population. So we are collectively consistently hovering near the top when it comes to rates of 
suicide or suicidal ideation, burnout, mental health difficulties. And yet we are not stopping to say, how can we create the conditions to look after ourselves and each other in this system? And so that's part of my mission when it comes to the work that I do. And that's through the mindful medics training, which is really a training which allows clinicians and healthcare professionals across the board to stop and A, engage in practices like mindfulness or uh, positive psychology-based practices, have uh, you know reflective learning and self-compassion practices, which can help them improve their personal well-being. But there's also lifestyle medicine practices, like looking at your sleep and your daily habits and your nutrition, etc. So have that piece where they are looked after and they're upskilled with tools to look after themselves because we think we were good at this, but we're really not when it comes to looking after ourselves, but also do it with in community, right? Where we're working within a group setting where we can talk to each other and say, I'm struggling, or I don't know what to do, or this is really affecting me. And we can just have that non-judgmental space to work through our challenges because peer-to-peer -peer learning is really powerful, right? And and that that goes back in, you know, back into our childhood. I'll just share with you a really interesting observation I had recently. So I was looking after two nephews of mine. One of them, I had basically um, had come over and I was babysitting, so it had come over earlier than the other nephew had. So when the first one came over and these two are cousins, essentially. So when the first one came over, his mum dropped him around. I said, hey, Arav, and his name's Arav. And I said, um, I've, tr I've made this new Indian curry. Why don't you try it? And he looked at it and he was like, eh, that looks disgusting. Never trying that, you know, give me some pizza or something. And um, then the second one was dropped off. And um, I said, hey, uh, I've made some Indian curry. Why don't you try it? And he tried it and he loved it. Now, because he loved it and he was raving about it. Now, the first one, my first nephew who'd come over, Arav, was like, I want to try it. What is this? And so that's that's what can happen. The magic of peer-to-peer -peer learning and sharing and reflection. It's not about someone telling you what to do. It's about sharing experiences and saying, you're really struggling with your, your mental health. And I hear you, you know, have you considered taking a break or speaking to your line manager or, you know, trying some self-compassion or whatever it is? So that's what we do is essentially create create experiences and conditions which allow for well-being um, in healthcare professionals, which in turn allow for productivity, performance and engagement in the workplace. Isn't all this mindfulness talk fun? We all could use a little slice of space in our day. And that's why I am putting in a pop-up workshop on membership design. I know, what does that have to do with space? Well, when you learn how to design your three-tier membership, you actually improve the value of your services and also provide 
really firm and loving boundaries for patient messaging, patient education. You're able to instill impact without bleeding out all of your time in a transactional method. Especially if you're a functional or integrative doctor, your services can take a lot of time, a lot of research, a lot of thinking. Why not strategize and streamline this and offer a three-tier membership option so that you can serve patients where they're at and support their needs where they can afford them. I will walk you through 90 minutes of a working membership workshop where we'll roll up our sleeves. We have worksheets. I'll walk you through the exact method that I calculate prices, that I strategically fuse the buckets into my three-tier membership. You'll have an idea bank of over 100 different ideas to pick from so that at the end of this workshop, you can walk away with clarity, strategy, and ability to launch a three-tier membership option in your practice. It's worth it. The price is really cheap and I don't do these pop-up workshops often, but I had so many messages come in lately, especially as the year is winding down. So I'm taking this opportunity November 8th from 6 p.m. to 7.30 p.m. Central Time. You can register with the link in the show notes. It is done all online. You'll immediately get access to the 10-page PDF ebook as well as the Google Sheet Calculator, which helps you automatically predict your profit and play with numbers as how many patients you would need. Um, it's wonderful, and I love helping practitioners innovate, redesign healthcare with more creativity and less burnout. Let's color outside the lines together, and I hope to see you there. Absolutely. That, that is a brilliant way to offer another tool in the toolkit. And I heard in there, you know, you're talking about burnout stats and you're right. It's, it's abysmal. 63% of us are burned out in the physician workforce, but 96% of us think it's a problem. We know it. We're aware of it. And it feels overwhelming because when you finally recognize that you're burned out, which again is a hard thing to self-identify. Most people that are burned out don't identify that they're even burned out, which means they're at increased risk of suicide without that lack of self-awareness. But really, when, when you do get to that space and somebody offers you tools, it almost feels like yet another to-do on your list. And you're like, sure, whatever. And so you get this sarcastic feeling of it's never going to help. I'm in so deep. And there were studies that show when they did mandatory um, you know, wellness activities, it actually backfired because, you know, sometimes incorporating in a culture that is already set up that is very toxic, let's just say it, it invites very high achieving individuals that are perfectionistic in their thinking. So naturally, we feel like we don't want to tell someone else we're struggling. And that's like a perfect storm. And so what I love is I'm seeing, you know, people like you, other physicians, other healthcare catalysts that are that are changing this culture it's changing slowly and i'm hoping that what you and i do and other you know creators are we're getting ahead of burnout and we're putting tools in the toolkit of the younger physicians before they get there so that they can rotate and they can play with you know mindfulness training that you offer the creative flow training that i offer the other you know self coaching modalities i've spoken with other physicians because there isn't one path through burnout it's like it's a language that we all need to start practicing and be familiar with fluency so we can talk 
talk to each other on how we're feeling. And that's the bare minimum that we need to establish, which I love that you're doing. Because then if we can get these tools in the hands of these younger doctors, they can say, yeah, you know, I've tried that. Maybe it didn't work for me on that rotation for that week, but I'm going to try it again next year. I'm going to, I'm going to circle back because as we are an upward spiral of self-actualization, you know, these tools are so helpful to be able to communicate our wants and needs and hopefully raise the tide of us being more mentally well. Um, I absolutely love that you also touched on this feeling of, you know, again, another self-sabotage we do, I think as physicians and nurses is this feeling that, okay, it's another thing on our checklist. Okay, I'm done. I've learned it. And yet these tools like mindfulness and meditation, you're never done, right? I mean, physicians score in the highest of the resiliency score and the work by Martin Seligman on positive psychology and happiness. I mean, we might think, oh, we know what to do, but you know what? You're never done. So how do you address that in in your talks and in your your workshops when you are in community and and maybe these practitioners feel frustrated? Why am I still struggling? Um, What kind of ideas have you heard or conversations that you've had? Yeah, so it's really interesting. And it takes me back to something a teacher of mine once said. So let me just let me backtrack before I answer your question. Let me backtrack slightly and tell you what happened after that episode in the cereal aisle. Please. um, Because between that and Mindful Medics and then the Mindful in Healthcare digital course, which I have now, there's a huge there's there's almost 10 years um and in those um in the first basically after this this event in the cereal aisle you know went back to work and just carried on as normal but of course um it it eventually worsened to the point where i became quite unwell uh, mentally and emotionally and i i had to take time off and i told myself that i would give myself 2 weeks off and i'd get get back to normal and get back to work. And that was the grand plan, right? Now, of course, nothing is going to change in two weeks, but I convinced myself that I could allow myself two weeks. And um, of course, that did not happen. It didn't go to plan. Two weeks actually turned into two years. And I was two years long-term off sick because, you know, um, when it comes to mental and emotional health when you're when you're depleted when you're burnt out when you get to that point it it takes time to to even like you say identify and accept that there's a problem and that self-acceptance for uh physicians for nurses who are so so have this entrenched identity of being the caregiver not the caretaker so even to accept that there's a problem and accept help um, takes time so i definitely took my own sweet time doing this um, and part of my healing actually happened when i went to india where my roots are and i ended up basically in india doing two things in the south of india i was practicing ayurvedic medicine which is a whole holistic branch of medicine and it encompasses sort of modalities like yoga and meditation and um, herbs and massage and you know lots of lots of different things looking at your nutrition which for me as a sort of you know a western medical practitioner like what is that about like herbs and massage to to you know heal 
heal your uh, real life problems like no uh, but anyways i had i had the time and i basically allowed myself to immerse myself in this new modality of of healing and then in the north of india i was at the dalai lama's resident temple learning about the power of mindfulness and meditation and self-compassion and breath work and even emotional intelligence training and so one of my teachers going back to what you're saying around essentially what is as simon sinek would say the infinite game right, right. Um, one of my teachers i remember she was literally about at the time 94 years old tiny woman you know from india who had been leading this this huge spiritual um organization and for me my teachers have come from all backgrounds and you know there's a very diverse mix of of teachers that i've had since that time in the cereal aisle and anyways this particular teacher i remember her being asked um so her name was dadiji and she was asked dadiji um you have been doing this work around sort of self-awareness and um inner transformation for a good part of like 70 80 years right so where are you in that journey right because you must be so far ahead from all of us and you know what she said to me lara and i just or not to me but the whole audience she said i'll tell you where i'm at i'm at page one chapter one and i just like you know something in me just just time stopped and i was like she's been doing this for 70 plus years and she's at page one, chapter one. And what she was saying is bring a beginner's mindset to every single moment of your life. There's always something new to learn. There's always something new to practice. Once you have these tools, be it, you know, the creative writing, be it the reflective journaling practice, be it the mindful breath work, be it the empathy and compassion in your relationships, well, it's not a one-stop shop where you do it once and then you've got the results and then, you know, for the rest of your life, you can say, I am certified in yes. happiness. <laughs> that's not how it works. And I think as, as clinicians, we're so used to, you know, I, I learned this tool, I practiced this tool and I got certified in this. And so that's it, you know because life is such that it will throw up new experiences and challenges and difficulties and you'll have to go back and pick that tool from your toolbox but maybe utilize it in a different way and that's the beauty of these these practices is the different applications throughout your life the problem is is that we don't give ourselves the permission to stop and and learn and put in the effort to learn them you know all of these skills are trainable yes and self-management self self-regulation but even the social awareness the relationship management that's emotional intelligence and the studies show it's trainable right our brain right. changes as we practice so what i would say is adopt a beginner's mindset and also trust that 
once you build these these tools which are not necessarily taught in traditional uh, medicine or healthcare once you build these tools you will find applications um, for them which will enable you to look after yourself a because what's the point if if you're deplete you can't be looking after others right so look Beautiful. after yourselves and others Yes, that's so I, I love the idea of the beginner's mindset. And I think that's why if you were to ask a room full of kindergartners, how many of you love to play? How many of you are creative? 100% raise their hand. They have a beginner's mindset. They bring that to every single piece of their day. And somehow we're thinking as adults, we need to have it all figured out. And we need to be resilient. And we need to not ask questions because we should know the answer. And that's the sad part but yet it's opportunity to build that muscle. Because like you said, this, this ability to bring a beginner's mindset, a curiosity to whatever is in front of you is the best skill to have. When we teach medical students and we give them opportunity to make something that's creative, that is like an art project or craft project, studies show that they have actually more ability to find this inner resiliency and cognitive flexibility because they they learn that you know they can have fun in a very safe environment that's closed and these skills are translational then they are able to accept different outcomes outside of that room from their creativity they're able to find more well-being and i love that you're challenging us to to bring that beginner's mindset even if you've learned all the tools each tool can be applied a million infinite different ways because there's no two situations in front of you that are going to offer the same path to use that tool this is fantastic um you also said something about taking time off and i, I want to talk about that permission is so necessary burnout is heavy and if you're listening again you know i advocate that getting a great therapist getting a great mental health professional is is crucial you can't heal your burnout on your own you need community you need professional care and everybody's burnout path looks different taking time off is a privilege if you can do that but sometimes you need to work in the mess. You know, you're, let's say you're a working mom, you've got three kids, you, you can't just disappear. Um, and you know, sometimes these small daily permissions of space of just taking five minutes and waking up five minutes earlier and just sitting or journaling, like you, you mentioned or breathing or whatever that means to you can do a lot. Wouldn't you agree that just taking those teeny bits of practical time to yourself? That can help as much as, you know, a long, you know, extended break. I think that would be very helpful. Absolutely. I think when it comes to, like you said, when it comes to uh, these these decisions of how much break to take and how much time to take for oneself, like there are so many variables that determine how much time you practically can have off or can't have off. Like, you know, there was no way I could have said, back then that I could have afforded to have two years off. But I ended up taking that time because ultimately my body and my mind needed it. And if you are in a position where you can't take that time off, at least consider, is there an hour a week where you can speak to someone where, where you are working through whatever it is that you're going through and you are the central focus, not the patient in front of you, not the healthcare system, not your child, not your spouse, not your friend, but you, right? And, and so figure out what works, um, but actually looking back now, 
Um, or rather, look, that was my journey and, you know, that was it. But if I was to go forward, I would say it's the small daily disciplines which build up over time, which allow you to care for yourself, to become more resilient, to become more compassionate. Like if, if it's a case of, well, we know that self-compassion can help with burnout. Well, I'm not going to give you a lecture on self-compassion and hey, ho, presto, you're self-compassionate. <laughs> it's in those daily sort of moments where you've had that really difficult conversation with the patient or you are in conflict with a colleague or you've just failed an exam. It's how you manage yourself in those day-to-day -day scenarios um, that over time build that muscle, which allows you to compassionately go forward, compassionately both with yourself and others, go forward in bigger life experiences that you might might experience. So beautiful. Yes. Yeah. So I would say take a moment to step back, assess what is possible for you, but also do not deny yourself the two minutes, the five minutes, the 10 minutes, the one hour. Because I think as, as clinicians in particular, we think that we need these really big, grand results, um, you know, because it's the big, grand results that are celebrated. You publish that paper, you got your PhD. Oh, yeah. They're the sexy ones that we want. Yeah. Yep. Mm -hmm. Right. You, you went through six years of med school and hey, ho, party. But it's like, can I actually, actually just celebrate that I managed conflict well today? Or I actually said no and, you know, put up a boundary, which as a people pleaser, I really struggle to do. Right. So can we celebrate those small achievements, which are actually the big things? Brilliant. Brilliant. And it's, it's sort of taking a pulse of yourself and honoring yourself by recognizing what keeps you alive. Where is your vitality? Like I say, we need to incorporate the sixth vital sign of creativity every day, asking yourself what lights you up? Where is your joy? How did you play? Dust off that hobby. Ask yourself every day, how did I practice that sixth vital sign? Was it in that breath that I took this morning where I could let my mind daydream? Was it when I sat with my child and we played a little bit of Legos for a moment? I mean, every day is an opportunity. And I love your, your mission, your message. I could talk to you for hours, Dr. Rena. Yeah. Um, so where can our listeners find more of you? Um, where, on my website is probably the easiest way. So drinakatecha.com. I'm also on LinkedIn. And of course, Lara, we're connected. So I'm sure they'll find a way through that. And then hopefully you'll be able to share resources with them as well. Yes. Um, yes. Connect I, with me. I hope this is not the last time we talk. I hope that our worlds collide again soon. I'm so glad to meet others that are singing the same melody in this big choir of voices that are shouting to the universe saying we need to help our healthcare professionals. And I love all of the mission and vision that you have laid out. I'm going to put all your contacts in our show notes. So if you're listening, you can get the link right to her mindful medics course. Please follow and share Dr. Rena's passions to the world. We all need that. And 
again, thank you for everything you do, Dr. Rena. It's been a pleasure. And I hope that you continue coloring outside the lines. If you're listening right now, share this episode with a colleague who could use it. And we're always here. Keep practicing that sixth vital sign of creativity. And we will talk next week. Thank you for listening and subscribing to the Catalyst Podcast. My vision is a world without burnout, and my mission is to teach 1 million medical professionals how to tap into creativity and flow to increase joy and well-being. We all deserve a medical career that is self-expressive, unique, and creative. You can help by signing up for my newsletters. One of my highest values is gratitude, so I love giving back. And each newsletter is gamified. The more you share, the more you win. It's easy to sign up. Just go to drlarasalier.com forward slash win. Thank you for coloring outside the lines with me.